Hey, so you found your way back. Uh, this is my second episode of my podcast, and I just want to thank everybody who reached out to me yesterday and told me that they enjoyed the first one. Um, it motivated me to make the second one. And so I took my econ final this morning, and you know, it was all right. There weren't as many questions about game theory as I would have hoped, but um, there were a couple, you know, and it helped. Um, and today I've been studying for my geology final. Um, to any of my friends that go to OSU that are listening to this, I highly recommend Geo 308, um, Climate Change and Earth Systems um, with Christo. It is one of my favorite classes ever. And um, in that class, we've had some guest lectures. And one of the guest lectures um, was a professor at OSU, Jessica Kreveling. And she talked about this idea of snowball earth. And like ice ages and the whole idea of snowball earth have been the things that I've been most interested in this in this class um, and so today I'm just gonna kind of explain how we know snowball earth exists and why it exists like how it happened um, because I think it's fascinating so just to start off um, snowball earth is like a state of the earth where it's completely covered in ice kind of what you'd expect um, you know there's kind of two like basic states of the earth one without ice where like all the continents are kind of at um, low latitudes, you know, kind of warmer, um, or states with polar ice, so like what we have right now, or maybe even more extreme cases where like most of North America is covered in ice as well. Um, and then there's kind of this like third anomaly state, Snowball Earth, which as far as we know has happened twice in like the history of the Earth, um, 720 million years ago, and it happened again 635 million years ago. And so it's pretty interesting the reason we know Snowball Earth existed, because obviously that's a really long time ago, and you can't really learn that information from like ice cores or like deep ocean drilling, like looking at the sediment, because it happened so long ago. And the way we know that it happened is because um, geologists can like look at big exposed rocks, and they find this pattern all over the Earth. It's like this same distinct pattern where there's like a clast, which is just like a big rock that's like layered inside sediments. But what happens is the sediments are like curved around the rock, you know, because you might find like a rock that's in sediments and they, they just keep going in like straight lines around it. But when you have the sediments that are curved around the rock, it kind of like tells scientists that something strange happened. And so in the case of these clasts, it means that a rock was like dropped onto like layering sediment, like while they're being compressed into a formation and then they kept layering around it. And really like the, the only way we know that this happens in nature is from what are called drop stones. And so drop stones happen when there's like an ice sheet and it, it carries rocks out over water, usually the ocean, and then the ice melts and the rocks fall down to the ocean bed because the ocean bed is just this constant like layering of sediment. And so they find these rocks all over the world um, and then they can date them and that's how they came up with the ages for when the snowball earths happened. Um, because they're like in all these different locations and they all have the same two ages. Um, they kind of know that, oh, there must have been ice like covering the world in order for all these drop stones to occur.
And then what's really interesting is they can look at like iron bearing minerals around the stones and they can like find out where they were on the globe when they happened. And the reason these iron bearing minerals are like so important in determining the location of the drop stones when they formed is because of the earth's magnetic field. And so what the earth's natural magnetic field does is it aligns the minerals um, when they drop into the sediment and it kind of like shows this compass map like throughout history of where they were. So like if you think about how the field lines like radiate out from the poles, the minerals like want to align themselves parallel to these lines. Um, and it's super interesting. I like when we were learning this in class, it was like an intersection between my geology class and like also the physics class I was taking because we were literally learning about magnetic fields at the same time. And like what the magnetic, what the magnetic field does is it makes these minerals want to like align their north and south poles in the same direction as like how it's radiating outward. And so then they can, yeah, they just look at the minerals around the drop stones and then they can determine how the continents were shaped when the snowball earth happened. And what it turns out they looked like was all of the continents had kind of clumped together in these supercontinents around the equator, like in the lower latitudes. And like, this is one thing that I've always wondered about is like, what are like latitude and longitudes? And the way it was described to me in middle school is like latitudes kind of like fatitude. And so like, if you think about the earth's wider at the equator than it is at the poles, the latitude is like the degree or the angle starting from the equator. So the lower latitudes are just like, um, around the equator, like in the tropics. And the reason this is really interesting that all the continents were like located around the latitudes when snowball earth happened is, is because in the tropics, the temperature is usually warmer just cause it's like a little bit that much closer to the sun during the orbit. Um, and when the, when the continents are warmer, it increases this thing called chemical weathering. And what chemical weathering does is the rain is like slightly acidic and it actually like erodes rocks over time um, when it falls on them. And then the rain will like release certain um, chemicals in the rocks, which will um, chemically react with carbon in the atmosphere. And then it will trap that carbon um, in the ocean because all the sediments from the rocks will like run into the rivers and it'll react with the carbon. And then all that, um, it's like usually so, uh, calcite will like go into the ocean and then it'll stay there. And that's how our planet like removes carbon from the atmosphere in like a super long time scale. Chemical weathering takes forever. Um, and that's the reason cl climate change is like such a big deal because we're releasing all this carbon into the atmosphere and chemical weathering can't, can't remove the carbon fast enough because chemical weathering will take like thousands, like tens of thousands of years, um, normally, you know, so like carbon levels have been this high in the past, but it's gone up super slowly, but we're just doing it so fast. Chemical weathering can't keep up. But anyways, so all the continents are located, um, around the equator and actually the the first continent i i like all the names of the supercontinents there's a really cool youtube video we watched in, in geology class about how they change over time it's like a time lapse of the globe and um the first supercontinent for snowball earth is called rodinia 
it was like that's what it was organized in and um so rodinia had really fast chemical weathering because the temperature was warmer and what that did was it rapidly decreased the carbon in the atmosphere not not like rapidly for us but on a geological time scale it happened pretty quickly and then it started to form glaciers and so these glaciers formed like in the poles and over the over the continents and then the ice like started to reflect more um more solar radiation it would solar radiation like comes down to earth and in um short wave form it comes down like the periods of the waves are shorter and then the earth reflects long wave radiation and what the ice does it sometimes it just bounces back that short wave radiation and then also there was less carbon in the atmosphere so more long wave radiation was able to escape because that's what the greenhouse gases do is they trap the long wave radiation and that's why they make the earth warmer but in snowball earth um, in the formation of the continents for Snowball Earth, there's less carbon and there started to be more ice. And as more ice reflected more radiation, the Earth just got colder and colder until eventually the whole world was just covered in ice. Um, and so that it's kind of crazy how fast it happened because it's what's called a positive feedback loop. There's two types of feedbacks. There's negative feedbacks and positive feedbacks. There are also terms in like computer science or electrical engineering. But um, they're used a lot for climate science because the Earth's just a bunch of different feedback loops. And that's how they determine um, like what our climate sensitivity is, is they're trying to figure out all these different loops and how they interact with each other. And what a positive feedback loop is, it's when you have a forcing. So that's like um, something, something outside like affecting the system. So that might be like solar radiation or something humans are doing. And then that forcing is like either amplified or um, mitigated by the feedback loop. So if you think about chemical weathering, that would probably be a negative feedback loop because um, let's say the forcings, the sun makes the earth hotter, uh, more chemical weathering happens, and then less CO2, uh, more CO2 gets pulled out of the atmosphere. So the earth cools itself. So like a negative feedback loop is something that kind of mitigates the forcing or reduces it. A positive feedback loop is something that will amplify it. And so in the case of Snowball Earth, um, it's called the ice albedo effect. And uh, albedo is just how, like, the reflective level of the Earth. Um, when there's more ice, there's a higher albedo, a higher reflective level. Um, and so the forcing might be like the Earth cools down because of um, more chemical weathering. And then ice forms. And then that ice cools the earth more and so it just kind of amplifies and and uh, runs away kind of like if the snowball were just like rolling down a hill collecting more and more snow it just starts to go faster and faster because it's so much heavier and then um, once the earth is like completely covered in snow the chemical weathering actually stops happening because number one the rain can't get to the rocks anymore because there's like a layer of ice um, and the rain is snow or i you know it's not it's not liquid water anymore because it's so cold um and then there's no no way for it to get to the ocean um so you might think well like how is the how is the how did the earth get out of this loop because obviously it's not covered in ice anymore um and the way that carbon is like released into the atmosphere naturally because if there were no natural ways to release carbon from the 
um, ocean floor and eventually from like the the ground or the crust um, like how does it get there if chemical weathering just takes it away well volcanoes end up releasing carbon back into the atmosphere because the chemical weathering um, drops the silicates into the ocean and then the ocean um, subducts under underneath the crust um, just because of like how the tectonic plates move and then the magma or like the convection from the core will like heat up those rocks and then the silicate um, and the carbons will just be released out through volcanoes naturally just because the heat can only stay inside the earth for so long and so what scientists think um, pulled the earth out of these snowball phases was just natural volcanism um, just erupting up through the ice and eventually there was enough CO2 because there's no more chemical weathering. Eventually enough CO2 built up in the atmosphere to start melting the ice. Uh, and so it's pretty crazy how the earth kind of naturally like fell into these cycles and then was able to get itself out. Um, another thing that I think is really interesting is like when the, um, when life first learned how to like breathe oxygen, like originally cells like the single-celled organisms on Earth were like consuming methane and other gases. And then eventually they learned that oxygen was like super useful or uh, super efficient. And so a bunch of them switched over to oxygen and that was called like the great oxygenation or like um, they consumed CO2 and they released oxygen into the atmosphere. Um, and when all that oxygen was released into the atmosphere, um, it like uh, combined with iron in the oceans and it created what is what are called banded iron formations and sometimes um you can see banded iron formations just like out and about you know because um they're not on the ocean floor anymore where it's just rocks with like super distinct layers of iron and the banded iron formations were actually formed during snowball earth and the reason for this is there was like the ocean water was like still trapped underneath all this ice except for it had no way to release oxygen um, out to the atmosphere and so all the microorganisms in like the deep ocean were like um, breathing in the co2 and releasing the oxygen and all the oxygen just started to go up go up to the top of the ocean and then when the ice melted the oxygen like mixed back with the rest of the ocean and it created all these extra banded iron formations and there hadn't been any since like the great oxygenation which was like I don't know, 3 billion years ago or something crazy like that. And so that's basically just another way that they know um, Snowball Earth happened. Um, but I don't know if you guys know, but Antarctica wasn't actually a glacier until like 34 million years ago. Um, it used to actually be tropical, and they can tell because they find like fossils on it or like, um, like things below the ice core that... Um, indicate there used to be like trees and animals and stuff um, which is pretty crazy and the global surface temperature was actually like trending downwards um, like on a geologic time scale and they can like confirm like when it when it started to cool because of the age of ice cores on Antarctica um, and then another huge thing that contributes to like silicate weathering um, is mountain building and so what mountain building is basically just like huge glaciers will like erode rocks naturally over time. And like the more these glacier erode the rocks, these glaciers erode the rocks, 
um, it like creates more uh, surface area and that increases the rate of the chemical reactions. And like the biggest um, silicate weathering like air region of the earth is the Tibetan plateau, which includes like the Himalayas, you know, like Mount Everest, just because the mountains are so huge and they're so cold at the top. They have so many glaciers. Um, and the Tibetan plateau is really interesting the way it was formed. Um, India used to be connected to like, um, Antarctica and like close to Africa, like when, like, um, after Pangea, um, and then the Indian like tectonic plate, I think it has its like own, um, plate like broke off and it crashed into the Eurasian plate and it like formed these huge mountains. And now they're like the, the largest portion of, um, the chemical weathering on earth. And that's like when the earth started to cool was because these huge glaciers formed and then they started to like release all this um, silicate that got trapped in the ocean. And the way silicate's trapped in the ocean now is there's like little creatures that use it to create their shells. And then when they die, their shells go down and like become a part of the sediment on the ocean floor. And then that sediment eventually gets subducted under under the crust because um, the way the tectonic plates move around, they'll go under each other and that's called subduction. And those are like the really deep areas of the ocean, like the Mariana Trench. And when it subducts, the carbon that's trapped in the shells goes into the rocks. And then like eventually in like hundreds of thousands of years or like even millions of years, it will like get shot out again by volcanoes. But what they're worried about with um, Antarctica now is that like the like the west side of Antarctica will do what's called calving, where like the the icebergs will like break off into the ocean. Um, and the reason they're worried about it is because that's like where they can find the most mass has been lost. And it's like the west side is like this big sheet that's kind of suspended over the ocean, and the water like laps up against it, you know, and oh like water is like one of the fastest ways to melt ice. Like if you hold an ice cube in your hand and you run water over it, it'll melt way faster than just leaving it on the counter. And so this West side is like exposed to the ocean. Actually, I don't even know why they call it the West side. Cause it's not like the South pole. So everything's just North, but I, I guess if you look at it like from the top or I guess maybe from below, <laughs> cause it's on the bottom of the globe. <laughs> But if you look at it from the top, I guess on the left side is the west. But this huge west side has been like losing a lot of mass. And they can tell that because they have what are called the gravity recovery and climate experiment, which are is shortened to like grace. But these two satellites, they kind of like race each other around the earth. And like if the earth is heavier in one place, it'll pull the first satellite forward and the distance will become a little bit longer. That's what they do. They like super accurately measure the distance between themselves and they'll know that part is a little bit heavier. And then the other one will like f catch up when it gets lighter. And so they've been monitoring the weight of these ice of the ice sheet in Antarctica and also Greenland. And, um, that's the part of the ice sheet that that's losing mass the quickest. It's melting the fastest in the West in West Antarctica. Um, and they're they're worried that if it collapses, it would drastically increase the sea level, because right now we're actually in what's called an interglacial period, um, which just means the glaciers aren't super big. Like um, a glacial period would be where like all of Canada and like a lot of North 
a lot of the uh, United States is covered in ice. Like during the last glacial period, New York was covered in like 20 meters of ice. Um, but then in the inter interglacial period before that, the sea level was actually like six meters higher. And so, you know, it's not, it's not as high during this intergla interglacial period because of Greenland and Antarctica. But once those start to melt, uh, it will rise a lot. Um, they showed us this video in, uh, in class where a glacier in Greenland did what's called calving. I think it was like the Larsen B sheet collapsed and it was like a, was like a hundred meter tall iceberg, like flipped over and floated away into the sea, which was super crazy. And Greenland has actually been shrinking over the past few years. Um, after Larsen B collapsed, it like released a bunch of ice into the ocean, which eventually melted. And so how they can tell You know, because corals live in the ocean and a lot of them can only survive at very certain depths because they need like specific temperatures and that's where they're dying off so fast is because we're like increasing the temperature of the ocean and also acidification. But they can, they find dead corals that are on beaches or just in on land and then they can tell um, by the type of the coral what the ocean level was in the past. And they predict that Antarctica is shrinking at like a rate of 0.35 millimeters per year and Greenland's melting at a rate of 0.8 millimeters per year, which will add up pretty fast over time. Uh, ice sheets actually react to warming pretty slowly, which is kind of scary because uh, what we do now is going to affect the earth for like the next thousands of years because it takes so long to melt these vast quantities of ice. So if we just keep emitting it like we are, you know, it will, it will change the earth much more drastically than if we were to like become uh, really vigilant about it now. And so I know my, my explanation of snowball earth kind of, kind of morphed into this whole explanation of, um, how Greenland and Antarctica are like affecting the global sea levels, but I just think it's all really interesting. And um, anything about ice is super cool. Like after we had these lectures, I really wanted to watch the Ice Age movies. Never got around to it, but um, I think now that I have so much time, I probably will. But thanks for sticking with me. And um, if you have any suggestions for topics, you know I really like researching and learning about new things. And um, I only had I only took four classes this term, so I'm gonna need some some more ideas for these podcasts. But let me know. Thanks, guys, uh, and I'll catch you later.